I'm Nick Turzo, and you're listening to The Radical. My guest this week tests the boundaries of what is possible when based in Nashville. Having moved to Nashville more than a decade ago to pursue a country career, she learned it came with plenty of challenges when you're a woman. In pivoting the last few years onto a more fruitful path, she has interpreted many genres of music and is additionally graced with a remarkable vocal instrument. Maggie Rose joins me, and we explore being a woman in country music, empowerment, and her new stunning record, Have a Seat, which was recorded at the historic Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Additionally, last year she launched her own podcast, Salute the Songbird, in which she has insightful conversations with incredibly successful female artists. Coming up, my conversation with Maggie Rose. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I've been talking to your publicist for a few months. Like, I got to talk to her. Um, You've done a ton of things. I mean, 2020 was a task for all of us um, on all fronts. Um, You recorded a record somehow in this um, that's coming out in August. Yes. Yes, it's coming out in August. We actually tracked uh, most of it before the pandemic. So an added uh, element of difficulty for me was just sitting on a lot of really great music that I was excited to put out, but I'm happy that we, well, my team was patient enough to convince me to also be patient enough because it feels like it's correlating with all these good things happening, getting back out on the road and the music is a celebration. So I'm glad that it's also coming out at a time where the fog is lifting a little bit. Yeah. Well, you have, first off, you have a point of view, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, and you seem to go in that direction more and more each time. Um, That's the secondly, point. I'm trying. <laughs> your voice. Holy cow. What an <laughs> instrument. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like it's actually only been in the last like, five or six years that I've really found out what my capabilities as a vocalist are. And that started on change the whole thing. And a lot of that was just because of my producer, Bobby Holland, empowering me to do a predominantly live record. And I was able to also put it together with a bunch of my friends in a room. There was no label or deadline or expectation for a delivery date for an album. This is just something that I wanted to do. And that was very much a bridge for me, change the whole thing to the album that's coming out in August, have a seat because I had nothing to lose. And I I feel like we captured the urgency that you can only get in a live vocal. And I had never recorded up to that point. So it taught me a lot about what being a singer really means. And that's more than just being technically perfect. It's about the emotion and just that moment. It's it's here. It's now to be taken. When you took the step of recording this, at the famous Fame Studios and Muscle Shoals, right? Surrounded by some of those guys that have actually worked on just these incredible legacy records. Yeah, um, no pressure. Talk a little bit about that and your decision to do that. I think there were some, obviously the draw of that studio is apparent. It's this time capsule. And when you walk in there, you know that it's special. and It's pretty much preserved aesthetically. It looks just like it did back in the day when Aretha was cutting records there and Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett and the Allman Brothers and the Stones. And you revere 
the fact that those records were made there and you up your game. You're like, okay, I'm not messing around. If the people before me have set a standard, I'm going to try and meet it. But it was also the act of just getting out of Nashville physically and taking members of my band and combining it with members of the Alabama Shakes and the Swampers and some of the musicians that make that area so great. Uh, Cause it's such a collaboration, this project, and it's about inclusivity. And I wanted to amplify the, the soulful element of my music. And that felt like a good place to try and rein that in, but also it's not a throwback record only. We, we tried to make it psychedelic and contemporary and, and just sort of modernize what people recognize to be the sound that comes out of that studio. And you worked with uh, Ben Tanner, produced it? Yes, Ben Tanner, who's an insane musician in his own right, but he was such a great producer to work with because I think the best producers are are gentle. They are trying to just be a current around the artists and the bands to not overhaul what they're doing, but help them find it. And he just was applying pressure at the right time and giving me space at others and he played piano on some of the tracks as well and not only lent his vision, but his musicianship to it. Fantastic. Um, some amazing songs on here and, um, you know, whether they're somewhat defiant, like what are we fighting for? Right. Which is a little defiant. Um, and then you get into all the stuff that's just so beautiful, like Saint, and I mean, so such a beautiful performance on that. Um, Thank you. You can talk a little bit about these songs. Yes. Yeah. So these were all written during a contentious time. I don't think anyone could argue that the last couple of years have been pretty gnarly. And what are we fighting for was written with two of my friends, Alex, Haddad and brother love, who are also part of my band. And it was just one of those songs that we wrote as a question Uh, We don't have the answers. None of us felt like we had any answers to anything at that time. And this was before the pandemic. And we just wrote a lot about understanding and giving each other space to at least express themselves. And, And I think that's one of the most loving things we can do. So that's a theme throughout this record is communication. And the fact that we sat on these songs throughout the pandemic didn't bother me because I felt that the messages actually became even more relevant as time went on. Um, it just felt like two sides yelling at each other and not listening. And that also was an internal struggle that I was dealing with too, in isolation, all of a sudden shows are canceled and there's a lot of things that start cropping up within me, uh, self doubt. And am I even going to remember how to do this when we get back out on the road? When is that going to be? So it just felt like these songs that we captured somehow just became more meaningful to me. And there is defiance there. And a lot of it was colored by the political contention we all were dealing with. And um, also an identity crisis that I had been struggling with. I think a lot of artists who are transcending genre keep getting asked the question, like, who are you? Where, where do you fit? What do we do with you? And the defiance that you hear there is a little bit in response to that. It's like, this is exactly who I am. I don't need to be verbal about it. This is the music and it speaks for itself. 
It's fantastic. And there's another song there called Help Myself that's yeah. so fantastic. I'm glad you dig that one. I really it's brilliant. love the lyric of it. The lyric's brilliant. I wrote that with my friends Kyle Dredden and Lauren Whistle. And that was one of the most fun sessions because it was just the three of us and an acoustic guitar and I was playing, which says a lot since I'm not the most proficient guitar player, but I use it to write. And it was just all about the lyric that day. And we were cracking up like the lines that didn't make it in the song were really hard to part with because there were a lot of uh, pretty clever anecdotes that we had about just walking through life and constantly feeling like everyone left and right is saying, this is what you should be doing. This is the right way to do it. Yet their life is in shambles. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes if I'm ever writing a song and it borders on preachy, I'm like, but I don't know what I'm doing. And we're the blind leading the blind. And in a way that's almost a comforting, comforting thing to hear as a listener is to feel like, all right, well, at least we're both just getting through this and, and feeling our way out. So I really enjoyed writing that song. You should be very proud. It is beyond clever. And I, <laughs> I love that song. So, so great. Did you feel like as an artist, you really grew through this process of having like all this, these type of people around you, the collaboration at this level, you know, having to go to like put some horn, I'll throw some horns, some strings in here. I mean, we're going to go a little bigger. Yes. How did you feel about that? Were you up for that challenge? You clearly were. I was totally up for the challenge. What made it more overwhelming was the ambiguity of not knowing, okay, when am I going to get this project out? Because the level of production was beyond anything I've ever attempted before. This is my first project that has strings on it, that has horns on it. And the amount of people that were involved and the logistics that came together to get all of this on tape was just crazy. So I, I felt really responsible for what we had put together and knew that I needed to see it through. And that was another reason that we just decided to sit tight and give this record a chance. Cause it feels like an event to me because it's, it's, it's big and, and soulful and bombastic. And I wanted it to have the right moment. Well, you accomplished something here. This is really an incredible piece of work and it spans a lot of, you know, genres, ideas. I mean, you definitely explored, which is awesome. Yeah, we were just like, wow, here we go. Here's everything. And uh, kind of like a puzzle putting it together, but it all made sense. I don't feel like any of it was affected and it felt very free flowing. Like there was, it's such a, democracy in my band too. Everyone has really great ideas. And in the tracking room, I wish we had more documentation of it because that was just such a magic several days. And we did it in increments um, where we had uh, two big trips to have tracking sessions a couple months apart. But it just was awesome to see in real time how Will McFarlane, the guitar player, uh, who was playing with my guitar player, Alex dad would just be like, how about this and that? And then you'd have like this insane idea that didn't exist 30 seconds before. And that's what it's about when you get yeah. everyone in a room together. And so do you have to go through the whole process now of figuring out how to do a video for this stuff? Is that stuff all relevant still? It is relevant. And we actually have uh, the videos already shot and we're, we're 
rolling them out. I did a three-part video for what are we fighting for, which came out first, then Saint, and then for your consideration, which uh, has yet to be released. And the concept is really cool. We got very trippy with it. And then also we were trying to adhere to the limitations that we have with COVID. So I am the only actor in the video, but there are five versions of me. And my director Ford Fairchild was able to help me come up with this symbolic concept that's all of us gathering at a table and we're at odds with each other. And that represents me being at odds with myself during this time. And then also just us globally not being able to get it together, but at least showing up to the table to hear each other out. And um, it was a really long day. We shot the three videos in one day and we start with what are we fighting for where I'm actually laying on the tablecloth where this fight has happened that the viewer doesn't even know about yet. We Tarantino, the audience, showed him the ending first. And then the second video is Saint. And it's almost disturbing because each character, each clone is lit in a different color to indicate kind of the mood of that character. And Saint is sort of this devilish, mischievous vulnerable character who's laying bare all the things that are not perfect about her, but accepting it. And it's this unbroken performance with her. And then for your consideration, which is the finale is where you see all of the characters at the table together, duking it out. And then finally the queen comes in and breaks up the fight. And it's supposed to just be about all of us uh, coming together to at least give each other the space. Right. And um, I mean, were there a lot of songs you had written for this before you kind of went in? I mean, did you have a like, I'm going to bang out 25 songs, see which work here in this or how do you do it? What's your process? With this album, there was the awareness that we we're going to go down to fame because the idea came into my head when we performed around Christmas time in 2018 on a program called Music Road to Muscle Shoals. And I fell in love with the studio there and decided that that would be a place where I wanted to make a record. So with that in the back of my mind, that started to help me with my A&R process of what songs would just really be captured the way they need to be at the studio. So there was a soulful element that I wanted to inject in a lot of this, but it was also more observant material. I don't, the only song I think that's really super personal and specific to my story is Saint. And that actually is a song that I didn't write. Um, and I haven't cut a song that I haven't written in years. It's been a long time, but I do that for other artists. And that song hit me like a ton of bricks. And I decided that I had to be a vehicle to get that feeling to my listeners because it just floored me. Who would it come from? Who, who's the writer? So John Santana, Charlotte Sands, Brett and Brigitte Truitt. And these are all artists and writers that I've actually worked with before. But I heard it when I was on the road and my publisher, Katie Fagan, sent me a batch of really great songs. Every one of them was stellar. And that was the one that I just kept listening to over and over again. And the demo is very stripped down. It's just Charlotte Sands singing with a guitar and 
I love the vulnerability of the lyrics. It felt very much like where I was. I felt a little dead end with choices that I was making in my personal and professional life and just feeling like, why aren't these things happening? And, and the reason they aren't, I was attributing to myself. And there's just a lot of just not feeling enough. And that song is about acceptance and and also having done this for so long, there's baggage that you kind of drag around with you and being okay with that and more even proud of it. Yeah, well, I, you did a real service to them. That performance is incredible. They must be so happy. I mean, they are really happy. Because no one else can do it now. You did it. So. <laughs> well, and I have to give props to my drummer, Sarah Tomek, who's been playing with me for so long because she was like, this song is amazing. It's beautiful, but like, let's mess it up a little bit. It's about a messy person and we don't want it to be just another really gorgeous six, eight ballad. Let's F it up. And those choruses, let's have these crazy hits and make it in your face. Cause that song is very much that. So that day of tracking was really special. It's fantastic. So you have like a little bit, you know, you've been in the Nashville community for a while, you know, trying out the country <laughs> thing to start. You've tried different iterations, different yes. ideas. Um, you have a reputation there, I guess, is, you know, you've been pretty good with, um, what would we say, the kind of the empowerment around country music or women, and you've been kind of involved in that battle yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, and here we are this week, and we see what the Tennessee state legislator did with T.J. Osborne, and mm. uh, it just seems like things never change down there sometimes. And there's all these great people like you in the community trying uh, right uh, where where's it at and like how are you feeling and what's your energy level at this point uh, around it thank you for that question and it's so important to me i was just with tj last weekend and he's comfortable with who he is i think he has been for a long time um it's a shame that he knows who he's dealing with and that he wasn't able to be forthright about that sooner. Um, but that's not on him. I think that that's just him being wise and having been in this business for a while. And unfortunately predicting what the response would be to some degree from a lot of people that are country fans. Um, I'm not discouraged at all by it, but I also am not playing that game anymore. And I think that that's why thankfully I was sort of inspired to deviate from that music because it just felt like the focus wasn't even really on the individual. It was like, I'm a fan of country. I'm not a fan of this artist. Like if you break this rule, then the allegiance isn't with the individual. And I also feel like if I hadn't been met with those obstacles and I wouldn't have explored my music further and I wouldn't have found this really soulful lane and it wasn't until I became an independent artist in 2014 for the first time, really, truly independent that I just felt like, okay, all the confines of this have fallen away and I still want to be here. And I've started asking questions that I should have been asking early on, but I was a teenager when I was put into this big machine uh, of Nashville and Music Row's workings and 
hadn't even been like, who do I want to be? And and what's my mission statement? And I had already gone through one act of rebranding and liberation when I changed my stage name to Maggie Rose, because I felt like I already needed to hit the reset button when I was 23, 24. And I felt like the second one really took the second liberation and and rebranding really happened, but I didn't need to have any repackaging or, or formal explanation to the industry. I just went and I did it. But a lot of that was catalyzed by the broken system, I think of, of country radio and, and music row, but I care really very deeply about what I still see going on, but I, I just felt, and I know now that it's working, that maybe that's not really where I belonged, mm. but I didn't want to give up. I talked to Mickey Guyton on my podcast. It was a great this. one. That I want to talk about that. Cause that was a great interview. Continue. And, and she said some really um, understandable things. Cause I pointedly asked her, I'm like, why, why do you put up with it? Like, I know that you love country. I know that you grew up listening to country with your grandmother. And like, she's the real deal. That's the music that she wants to make. Um, but I kind of was like, at, at what point do you just sort of reject the fact that they aren't giving you an open and she's like, I need to be seen. I need to see it to be it. And I wasn't being represented growing up. And I feel like just as much as it is my job to make great music, it's also my job to be a face in country music that I wish I had seen. So I understand wanting to stick with it for that as well. But I also uh, happily found out that I'm making the right music now. And maybe a little help came from the fact that it was just too hard to put up with. Right. Well, let's look your work in the community around those issues, you know, both for women and, you know, what's been going on with the LGBTQ area. Right. You know, in Nashville has been, you know, just really, look, I'm grateful for all of that. You know, I lived there for three years. I'm not there right now, but um, it really made a difference finding pockets of people like yourself. Um, and I think willing to do those battles, man. You know? Yeah everyone's linking arms and it's not just like women trying to get representation or black indigenous people of color. I think that we're all recognizing how the marginalized people making music are, are needing to be involved to where it can be a meritocracy. No one wants to have something handed to them either, just because there's a moment like there's, I think an awakening that's happened in 2020 where at least people have paid attention to the fact that this is a problem and that's the first step um, is just even having these conversations. And I think it'll get more uncomfortable until it gets better, but I'm enjoying all the music that I'm discovering because <laughs> of this moment. I think that that is a plus side. Yes, agreed. I agree with that. So on the podcast, Salute to the Songbird, you launched that this year, right? Yes. Um, well, in 2020, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what made you kind of want to have the, I mean, I get the idea. I mean, look, you're articulate. Um, you definitely have a point of view and um, the right point of view, in my opinion. Thank you. Um, <laughs> 
And so I'd want to hear what more is the from the right point of view. <laughs> whatever. What, whoever agrees with me, I guess that's tribalism <laughs> then. So I, I don't want to be tribal guy. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I thought it was interesting in listening to some of these. I listened to Miranda Lambert, the Mickey Guyton thing. And I'm, you know, first off, I'm jealous because you're getting people that I would love to talk to. So I'm <laughs> wicked jealous of I've you. I've been very lucky. Um, I've been lucky. But what made, made you, <laughs> well, you've done great because, you know, sometimes you think, oh, an artist with a podcast, it's going to be all about them. And I think you've been a really great uh, facilitator and listener and uh, interviewer. Thank so, you. Congratulations. That I wanted to be really aware of. And I also feel like that's one of the reasons I've loved this work is because I've gotten to the research process is awesome. I'm listening to tons of great music. I'm reading memoirs that I may have not otherwise read and also finding all these common threads between the careers of women who are wildly different from one another, who are established, who are up and coming. And there's an appreciation for everybody's hard work and talent. And I also wanted to be in the conversation, but not be the subject of the conversation. And I missed that connection. I think first and foremost, that's one of the reasons to make music. There's a lot of other wonderful perks, but at the end of the day, it's the connection with other artists, your community, and with the fans. And all of a sudden, overnight, that was taken away. And a lot of these women I probably would have otherwise run into backstage or somewhere. And this was a way for me to keep my circle of friends widening and even connect some of these women with other women and give a better scope of what it is that we have to offer in the industry that's far from the conventional exposure that we're giving to um, some of the few representatives of who we are. And I also think that it's been a really great time to listen. You said about being a listener in these interviews. I've been in the other seat where the interviewers kind of blasting through their talking points and not answering based on what the answer was. And these are conversations. I think that's the most loving thing we could do. And there's men involved in every aspect of my career and my music. So for me, I grew up with two sisters and Osiris, the company I work with is awesome, but they needed some more female hosts represented. And I'm kind of an expert at being a woman in the industry. So I figured I would just run with that. Excellent. Now your Mickey Guyton interview was so great. And it was so, it was heartbreaking though, in a way, listening to her and yeah, what she had. And I love her. I just love her. And to listen to this, it's, it's heartbreaking at the same time, what she had to go through just to be herself. It's so stupid. Anyway. Well, and I also find if you listen to that, she's saying these things that are wildly upsetting. She has these takes that are super astute and uh, she says it all with kind of a tone of exhaustion. Like she's not super worked up as she's talking about this because this has been her truth for a really long time and people are just getting hip to it in some ways. But um, that was one of the most gutting things about the interview is that she's kind of like, not not resigned in saying it because she's someone who's going to keep making music. We've seen that she's sticking around and she's resilient and she deserves to stick around. 
but this was not fresh to her at all. And I think that it's really apparent and when you hear her and hearing her talk about it. But it's also, it's been a celebration with a lot of these women too. And with her, I think the day after my interview with Mickey, she was Grammy nominated. And um, it's just been really cool to have that moment in time captured and then see what's transpired in just a few months since we spoke. That's awesome. And, you know, since you've started this, we all start this with kind of a purpose and 2020 kind of kicked us in the butts a little bit to want to talk to some of the people in our circles and kind of, you know, for me, I'm a little older than you guys. So for us, it's like our third chapter and these conversations almost need to happen because of time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just curious from you, when you started your impression of doing the show and like where you're at today after doing, how many episodes have you done? We did 13 for season one and I've already recorded about six for yeah. season two. Was there season anything? Season two will be longer. Okay. Did you, what do you, uh, what did you walk away with that you didn't know beginning it that you felt like you learned something along the way now that you've done a few of these? Does something well, stand out? Yeah. What stood out remarkably was at the end of every episode, I'll ask my guest how their perspective as a woman has shaped their career. What is an advantage of it been to focus on the positive? Cause I don't want to get a wise women. I think that we have a lot of really great things handed to us being in this industry. Uh, some of those things being our innate compassion and our ability to be open and connected. And Ruby Amanfu was my first guest and her answer was, I love that I can be able to be like, come here, baby. And like, let me be comforting to you outwardly without anyone kind of judging that to just have that openness to our audience as women is, is a pretty great gift, but everyone had a different take on it. And that made me really happy because I think that everyone would agree that the next guest answer also applies, but everyone had something to add to what the beauty of being a woman in the industry was. No one had the same answer. That's awesome. You know, I was watching, uh, they were doing the open carry permit uh, debate here mm. in Texas yesterday. Oh. And it's funny, you know, because the women legislators, whether they were Republican or Democrat, didn't make a difference. They they all had concerns about it. And I thought that's interesting. You know, look at women. Women just had this intuitive it's just, I don't know. Men are just so stupid at times. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> pretty brilliant as well. <laughs> they are brilliant, but uh, man. I think there's, it's funny that anyone who's afraid about having a, a woman in charge says they're too emotional. They start wars. Well, in the history of history, a woman hasn't really been given an opportunity to start wars. Maybe in the medieval times, <laughs> but I'm talking about relatively modern history. Like there isn't really been a precedent. And I think that there's uh, just a a patience and a really pretty logical way of thinking that we all have. Like we, we might overthink even, but there, I feel like I'm always 10 steps ahead of what the next thing's going to be. And sometimes that gives me anxiety because I'm worrying about things going wrong. And then here's my contingency plan and blah, blah, blah. But it's makes us more intentional. But I know a lot of really 
brilliant level-headed men. In fact, they're, they're for the most part, I'm a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope, I hope I'm one of those, but as I hear myself today, I don't feel it because I've listened to your podcast and you're much more articulate. So I'm trying my best. So (laughs) you're doing great. And yes, you are among the men whom I'm a fan. <laughs> well, thank you. How are, what are your touring plans then? Do you have them yet for this year? Do you know what it looks like? We're about to announce 50 dates. Awesome. I am so excited. I actually don't even know what they all are, um, but it's it's kind of crazy to even say that out loud because that is such a resource for me just to not lose my mind. I didn't understand how important it was to expel that energy. And also you're an A&R brain and that is my biggest resource for curating the music that I want to put on an album is putting it in front of an audience, seeing how they respond. And to not have that, you feel very much in the dark. You know, it's, I don't really have a table of suits saying this is the single and this is the research. That's just not how I operate anymore. I feel like you take it to the source and that's the audience. And I'm really looking forward to having that feedback and engagement again. And that's something even streaming can't give you really track to track. I mean, look, it'll show you numbers, but I don't know if it's the same, right? I don't think it is. I, and I also know that there's lots of algorithms and other things pushing these different songs in front of people. And if someone's at your show, they're already probably somewhat invested and it's a open-minded loving audience and they'll, they'll let you know what they like. That's awesome. Are you doing your own thing? Or are you doing a package thing? Or are you just going out headlining? I'm doing a lot of headlining shows, but we're also doing a bunch of festivals where we're going to be on the bill with some amazing people. I know we're doing summer camp um, in Illinois and we might be doing Bonnaroo and uh, I'm hosting my own festival in Missouri Oh, in July where uh, it's like an outdoor camping ground at Wapapello Lake. And I'm getting to bring them vibes and lady couch and Dylan Hardigan, who's this incredible artist I met when I was out on tour with Kelly Clarkson and just going to have a big camp out in the woods with our, our fans that weekend. And that's a way to get everyone there and safely celebrate outside. And hopefully the weather will cooperate, but we won't care. <laughs> We're going to play yeah. anyway. <laughs> Mud or not, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're doing it. Yeah. So. Well, that's awesome. That sounds awesome. There what are you on? Um... Updates too. Yes. I can't wait to see you. I'm looking forward to hearing that voice live. Um, yes, me too. Me too. For sure. What are you are currently listening to of others that you think is super fantastic? Is there anything out there right now? There's so much good stuff out there. Um, Katie Pruitt. She's fantastic. She put an album out during the pandemic. Uh, Amethyst Kaya. I think she's awesome vampire weekend i'm really into what they're doing their production and everything is delightful oh aaron lee tazjan yeah aaron's record's so i had him on the show that record is so good it's like that guy silly and he's like a heart of gold too yes yeah elizabeth cook aftermath 
Um, of course, I've been listening to a lot of Bill Withers just since he passed away. We, we covered the entire Live at Carnegie Hall record. So my band and I, that was a big deep oh, wow. dive. Devin Gilfillian, uh, he's amazing. I don't know him. Oh, he's so good. There's I'm so writing, many. I'm down. I'm so I, down. The last thing I'll tell you is that there's not any good new music out there because I think it is just, it's hard to even be able to have time to listen to all the good things happening. I think we're seeing a bit of a renaissance with artists and what they're releasing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I agree. I've gone away from it for such a long period of time and kind of podcast replaced it for me. But mm -hmm. now doing this podcast, I've been able to like get into music again. And there's some amazing stuff out there. I'm so yeah. happy. So it makes me happy I'm doing this because I thought maybe I was going to go down like a dark hole and like find nothing inspiring musically. Yeah. But it's been totally the opposite since I've started this podcast. I love that. And that's another reason just to do this, I wanted to, to do the podcast. I mean, is to fall in love with, stay in love with my community and how amazing all these people are. Gillette Johnson just released an incredible album. She was on the podcast. Just, it's a good way to remember that there's a lot of people out there right now writing an amazing song and it's inspiring and also a motivator for get your ass in the writing room and write a good song because other people are doing it still. Right. No, fantastic. Well, listen, thank you for making time today. The, the record will be out in August. Um, yes. It's fantastic. Thanks. And, and the podcast uh, salute the songbird bird, excuse me. It, it's just these women's conversations and their journeys everyone should be listening men you better be listening too so because yes. it's it's oh, really great we need there's so many men who are involved uh, responsible helpful in making these women's careers happen so they're part of it too i just you're not going to be behind the microphone this time <laughs> that's all <laughs> hey, all right thank you for what thank you're you. doing and uh, for inviting me to join this conversation my pleasure. Stay healthy, and I look forward to seeing you on the road. All right. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpot.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.